read Micah chapter 3, uh, verse 1, uh, on to chapter 4, verse 7, and then there'll be a passage from Matthew. Uh, Micah rebukes the leaders and prophets. Then I said, Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice? You who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like fresh for the pot. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. This is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. Therefore, Night will come over you without visions and darkness, without divination. The sun will set for the prophets, and the day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed and the diviners disgraced. They will all cover their faces because there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet, they look for the Lord's support and say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. And the temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. As the highest of the mountains, it will be exalted above the hills, and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation 
will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. For the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the names of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles, and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant. And those driven away, a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. And now, uh, if we can move to Matthew chapter 21, the uh, words are above us. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It's written, he said to him, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. Thank you, Ian, for reading that so well for us. Um, Do keep Micah open in front of you. And let me pray for us as we come to look at these words. Heavenly Father, as you've spoken to us in the reading of your word, please continue to speak so that we might be small in our own eyes and the Lord Jesus Christ might be lifted up and exalted before us so that we would see him, trust him, and worship him for who he is. Amen. Um, I don't know how you feel about history at the moment. Not, not so much the subject. Um, maybe you enjoy a bit of that. Um, more your place in history at the moment, the things that are going on. How, how do you feel about it? It feels, I don't know if you'd call it exciting times, certainly interesting times. Uh, historic government defeats, uh, votes of no confidence. There's, there's lots of times, isn't there? There's lots of times where uh, where life just feels kind of ordinary. There are, are other times where the things that are going on, they feel a bit momentous. It's kind of like momentous history is taking place before you. I wonder where you, you put yourself in it. There's lots of discussions at the moment about which side you might be on. What do you think about yourself? You're on the right side of history with the, the choices you would make. Uh, sometimes it feels momentous, doesn't it? Or, or think about this one. Um, once a year, my dad used to write a, a particular letter. It was the same one each year, uh, just the, the same letter. He just sent it to somebody different. Um, my dad was 13 years old when World War II broke out. At the age of 15, he tried to join, join the Royal Navy. It was only asthma that stopped him, apparently, and colorblindness. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? At 15, the only thing that stops you joining the Royal Navy at war uh, uh, was asthma and colorblindness. Um, a couple of years later, though, um, he, 
he managed to get a job on a, a Dutch merchant ship and was off to sea in the merchant navy um, at 16. And his friend Robert, his friend Robert at 17 lied about his age and joined the army. And at 19 was killed in Operation Market Garden in the Netherlands. And the letter my dad used to send each year uh, was kind of retelling the history of their childhood friendship. My dad said he lost many friends during the war, but the letter he sent each, each year was to refresh the memory of this friend, Robert. Lost many friends, just one life amongst many, but for my dad, momentous history. And the more you think about it, uh, the more you realize we all experience momentous history, much of it's sobering. The sadness of historical events that have a kind of depressing repetition to them. You sometimes wonder, don't you, where does the pattern of history come from? I mean, it's from us. We're the ones that make it. And the kind of individuals might change, but the types of events feel sadly familiar. Political conflict, national conflict, just the, the stuff in our lives that are repeated in other people's lives. There's that phrase, I think it was Churchill, but he, he got it from somebody else, that those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. You, you might have used that phrase, heard it. But in my experience, just knowing that, even learning from history, doesn't seem to be able to stop us from repeating the mistakes of the past. And that's why we're turning to this book we've got in front of us, this part of the Bible, Micah, because in it, Micah is going to put before us momentous history. In fact, he's recorded two different histories running side by side. They run through the lives of every person who's ever lived, every person in this room, you and me, and it's history produced by humanity and history determined by God. Here's the first of them, history produced by humanity. For those who were here last week as we, as we dove into Micah chapter 1 and 2, we heard Micah speaking to the, uh, the people of his day. That was the kingdom of Judah, sometime around the 700s to 600s BC. And we saw a society that was shaped by pride and greed, that the poor and the vulnerable were being trodden underfoot. And so God said through Micah, he was coming, as it were, to put his foot down on injustice. The threat of war was on the border, but there was hope. God promised to rescue a remnant and provide. The, the way he put it was a shepherd king, someone who would rescue and rule them in a good way. And that's what happened in 701 BC with defeat close at hand. God rescued them. But now we find ourselves at the beginning of chapter 3, and it's probably some time later, and like our modern experiences, history is repeating itself. The cycle is just going round again, and Micah now speaks again a word to the people of his day, and he, he targets three groups, the judges of the courts, if you like, the religious leaders, and you might want to say the wider establishment. And just see what he says. I begin with the judges at the beginning of chapter 3. You, you hear these words, Then I said, Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice? You who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones. And then hear what he says will happen to them, verse 4. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. Oh, the religious leaders, we pick them up in verse 5. The prophets 
who lead my people astray. They proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. You, you understand the imagery. They're, they're not really caring for people. Their religious service is just a way of making money, getting stuff for themselves. And hear what God says to them in verse 7. The seers will be ashamed and the diviners disgraced. They will all cover their faces because there is no answer from God. He's not speaking to them anymore. Then the establishment, verse 9. You leaders of Jacob, verse 10. Who build Zion, that's the temple mount, the the place where the, the temple would have been. Who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. And hear what he says to them in verse 12. Therefore, because of you, Zion will become like a plowed field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. I think it's stylized language there, isn't it? But you, you put it together and you understand what God is saying through Micah to the people of his day. If your society offers no just help to those who need it, then don't expect God to help you in your injustice. If your religion is at heart self-seeking and selfish, then one day all you'll be left with is yourself. You'll have nothing else. If your society is built without moral foundations that can last, then the God who is moral will one day see that it's overturned. You can imagine Micah saying, the folly of people who should know better, who've been helped time and again just repeating the same stuff, the depressing nature of history repeating itself. And you look at them and their history of social injustice and conflicts, and you realize, as you read this, it's not just some ancient book. Israel's history, it's, it's our history, isn't it? You listen carefully, the choices their society made echoes in, in the ones we make week in, week out, year in, year out. They're the same as us. And the sobering word from Micah is that the immorality of this kind of history doesn't just lead to the tragedy of conflict or kind of short-term social injustice, but eventually to the judgment of God, to loss and judgment. You end chapter 3 of Micah with Jerusalem in ruins, the temple mount is rubble-strewn and overgrown, the nation's ruined. Jerusalem was meant to bring God's blessing to the world. That was the hope, but instead it's become a symbol of the ruinous effects of human sin. That's what's going on in chapter 3. Which is why chapter 4 catches you by surprise. Did you notice that as we read it? Because we're talking about the city again, but it's different. I mean, it's different in a quite dramatic way. Chapter 4, verse 1. In the last days, here it is, the same place again, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as, as chief amongst the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and, and the people will stream to it. It's the same place, but it's, it's a different place. And you realize what Mike is doing. He's, look, he's showing us history produced by humanity. This is what always happens. But then he says, look, our story is not the only story. As if 
as if we were the sole masters of history. No, no, he says, let me show you now history determined by God. Well, just read it with me. Chapter 4, verses 2 to 3. And many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Now again, it's kind of poetry, but you understand it. It's the claim that God will do something in Jerusalem that will begin an alternative history. Very different to what's gone on before. A place where nations will come, not in political dispute or war, but in unity. There'll be no need for walls to be built, no need for backstops to be agreed. It's a place where there is just law that ensures disputes are settled without the need for conflict. Where even the the industry wasted in war will now be put to life-enhancing use. That's verse 3, isn't it? They'll beat their swords into plowshares. That's what it's getting at. The industry of war now used for for life-enhancing means, things that will make life better for people. It's a history, we're told, that begins in Jerusalem but spreads to the world. And before we said, reading chapter 3, if you like, before we said uh, the kind of Israel's sinful history is pretty similar to ours, surprisingly, this is saying, well, look, this Israel's history needs to be our history too. If we want any hope of an alternative, it's going to be tied up with getting in on what God's promising here, which raises three questions, I think. The first one that comes to my mind is, look, which history do you want to end up in as you, as you look at these two histories? Uh, the second question is, look, it's all well and good saying that, but is there any evidence? Is there any evidence that there's an alternative history possible? I mean, that's a big claim. How can you swap histories? Is that even possible? What's the evidence for that? I guess the third question would be, look, if it is true, how can you swap from being in one onto the other? Well, the first question, I think everyone would like it to be true, wouldn't they? That's not stretching it too far to say people want peace and unity, safety for their families, a place where people come together. What about that second question? Is there evidence? Well, look, here's the evidence God's offering. It's chapter 4, verse 6. It was read for us. Uh, let me read it again. Here's what the prophet says. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles, and those I have brought to grief, I will make the lame lame my remnant, those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. Here it is. God says, if if you're asking, where's the evidence that we can look at and say this might be true? God says one of the signs this new history is getting going will be seen when, starting at Jerusalem, he gathers to himself the kind of people who are often overlooked and mistreated by society, typified here by the lame, and he'll make them strong again. He's going to set up a kingdom that will turn the world's values on its head 
And he says, if, if you want evidence that there is a new history you can be in on, look out for that. Look out for that. What about question three? How, how, do, you get from, how do you get from one to the other? Now, we didn't read it, but chapter five tells us, it says to us, look, it all hinges on one person. If you want to get from one to the other, it's all to do with one particular person. It it hinges on whether you know God's appointed rescuer or not. That's chapter 5, verse 2. Again, let's read it. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. And then down in verse 4, it continues to be described. He will stand and... Was this idea again? Shepherds his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Now, this is the global promise. It's saying if you want to be in on God's alternative history, Micah says you need to know and trust the shepherd king he's provided. If you want to be in on this, you need to know and trust this shepherd king. And if you want to know the way to spot him, how would you recognize him? How could you find somebody like this in all the people that's lived? Well, Micah says, he'll be the one in Jerusalem gathering a new community of the lame and the weak and restoring them. That other reading we had from Matthew 21, do you remember it? Heard what it said about Jesus. Jesus entered the temple courts and And he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer. You're making a den of robbers. The blind, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. You see, we're being shown a shepherd king who confronts injustice. And then what he does is he gathers the lame and he restores them, brings them back. And when you read things like that in the Bible, when you come across things like that in the New Testament, please don't, please don't think for a moment, oh, that's interesting, and Jesus is a kind of caring miracle worker. That's nice, isn't it? It's nice to have people like that, people who make people feel better. Please don't reduce it to that. It's not saying that. This is not merely a claim. He's some kind of caring miracle worker. No, this is the one of whom the angels roar, Christ the King. This is the claim that he's the King of creation, that he's gloriously smashed into history, grabbed it and begun to reroute it, that this glorious one now holds the reins of history and he is directing it. Matthew says, God's provided the shepherd king and it's Jesus that's who Micah is pointing us towards. And he's the one. He's the only one who can break this repeated cycle and give us hope and a future. God's given us the evidence promised. The only question left to answer is, look, which story do you want to end up in? Which story do you want to be your story? Which history do you want to be yours? The one repeatedly produced by humanity or or the one determined by God lived under the ruling care of his shepherd king. That's history as Micah puts it before us. Two big things to keep in mind. 
But as we come to an end, I guess it's worth asking, what difference does this make to us? If we're people here who have said, you know, we are trusting Jesus, we want to live for him, what, what difference does this make? Well, here's two things. The, the first one is the difference it makes to the kind of community we are to be, a church family here. Because this says God has stepped into the pages of history in the person of Jesus, not just to pluck individuals for heaven, as if that's all that was going on. We can be, we can be very individualistic, can't we? But it's saying something different is going on here. God's stepped into history in the person of Jesus to establish a new community where the weak and the vulnerable, those often devalued by society, are welcomed and restored And together, forgiven by Christ, we begin to live shaped by his word. One day, one day we will fully experience that in heaven. But even now, by God's grace, if we really are, if we are people who have been gathered to this shepherd king, we're we're to grow as a community where those who lead, in whatever capacity, those who lead, do that to serve others at times in costly ways, not just for their own gain, but to serve others. Where there is conflict amongst us, where people fall out, we work hard at forgiveness through Christ. Where the vulnerable are cared for, welcomed in and cared for and encouraged to serve God alongside everyone else. And where we say, how did chapter 4 put it in verse 2? Come, Come, let us go up to the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. What I thought, we're a people who, who come to the Lord knowing he will speak to us and, and teach us. It's some of the marks of a church that's really trusting Jesus, that we listen to God's word, that we serve one another, that the vulnerable and the weak feel welcome amongst us. Are you getting that about our church family? Are you starting to understand that's why we're committed to hearing and responding to God's word together. Why, why coming on a Sunday isn't just something when you can fit it in. It's why we come together as God's people wanting to hear from God so we'll be the kind of community he wants us to be who, who care for others. It's why we want to teach our children these things and why we don't want to let sport or, or recreation or other things on Sunday squeeze this kind of stuff out. But we say, no, we come together as a people to listen to our God, to be shaped by him. But that's the community we're to be. I think this also tells us how we're to view history. Micah tells us we need to understand there are now two paths running through history side by side. Uh, the one sinful people will always produce and then the other one determined by God. At the moment, they overlap. They run side by side. One day, they will separate forever. But that means now we live with the tension of two things going on at the same time. We live sort of involved in two histories. So when we encounter conflict between nations, whether it's political or or armed, it's right that we're sad. It's right that we grieve over those things, but we're, we're sad almost as if we're not because we understand human sin will always produce conflict, but our future is not ultimately tied up with what people produce, but with what God has determined in Jesus. 
And when we hear of conflicts ending, of, of deals being agreed, of votes getting through, it's right that we rejoice, and we must rejoice with those things. But we rejoice almost as if we don't rejoice. Because we know that however good those deals are, they won't last forever. And our true joy is only going to be found in the peace God has determined to bring through the Lord Jesus. So we have perspective as a community on the good and the bad of history. And that means this morning, if we begin to get this, when someone asks, do you think you're on the right side of history? Our answer is always yes. But not because of the choices we've made. Only because of what God has determined through Jesus. It's what Cooper and Katie have been doing this morning with Lucy, isn't it? And what we've been doing with them. Lucy has our, our whole life in front of her. Who knows what history will pan out for her. But as we baptize Lucy, we're giving her the sign of God's gospel promise of forgiveness and new life and the shepherd king who loves her. And we're praying with them that as she grows, she'll receive these promises by faith so that the history of God's people will become her history. And the future of God's people will be her future too. And next week we'll see more of what Micah says of how this works out in our lives. Let's stop and pray there. And then Steve will come and lead us.